The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 99. <clears throat> Psalm 99. If you're visiting with us this morning, another welcome to you. It's good to have you with us. My name is Jed Brown. I'm the associate pastor here. Our senior pastor, Steve Clark. Lord willing, we'll be back next week. <clears throat> Before we look at Psalm 99, let me pray. Holy Father, the words of that song that we just sang, that we, we see your righteousness and we love your righteousness and we praise your righteousness. That is my prayer for us right now, that you would come not because uh, I would deserve that or that anyone else here would deserve it, but on the basis of your character, because of who you are, I pray that you would send your spirit here right now and cause the words of Scripture to jump off the pages and grab us by the lapels and show us your righteousness and which cause us in seeing your righteousness to not just not just see it and and shrink at the sight of it but to see it and somehow love it we we fallen sinners we need you to come and do a do a great work in us, Holy Spirit, to, to work in our hearts, to, to see your holiness and to not shrink in crippling, craven fear, but to love you for it and to worship you for it. So I ask, would you come and do a work now? Please, please change us. Please make us different people. But the only way we can be changed is if we see you clearly. The only way we can do that is if you would come. Show us. Show us Jesus, Holy Spirit. So please help me. Help me to be clear. Help my words to be accurate. Help me to be an accurate messenger of who you really are. And please let, let a let a life-changing work be done here. Grip us. Change us, we pray. Meet with us now. Do this again for the sake of your name because it's who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is what the cherubim constantly cry out around the throne of God. We, we read this in Revelation 4. And you and I 
we are in Christ, we too will praise him for this character trait, this attribute for all eternity, that he is holy, holy, holy. We will praise him for it. The psalm before us today shows us why this is. Why it is this attribute that we will praise Him for for all eternity. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but we do know that it is part of a a set of psalms that, that enthrone God, that address Him as King, and address Him in a in a almost carefree May Day Spring Festival kind of way, and in a sober, sober, careful reverential way. Three times in this psalm, the writer calls us to worship God because He is holy. And you'll, I think, see these three as I read it. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and He answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, He spoke to them. They kept His testimonies and the statute that He gave them. O Lord our God, You answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Yes, God is holy. But what does this word even mean? Why does it even really matter to us? Why is it this trait that we will praise Him with the angels for all eternity? Holy, holy, holy. God's holiness means everything. The only way that we are brought to actually worshiping God, this true God, without faking it, is by beholding His holiness. We worship Him, verse 9 says, for our God is is holy. The only way that anyone can call God our God, my God, is by truly seeing His holiness. If you've not yet seen His holiness, you have not yet come to the living God. You may have been performing religious duties. You may have acquired knowledge about God, but that's not the same thing as coming before Him and seeing His holiness, coming into the pre- His presence, into the throne room of the Almighty, and, and in some way, somehow be found to be able to stand before His, His majestic holiness. To stand there, to find a place there, to find a welcome place there. If you've not experienced this, then you have not come to know this God To experience God's holiness and to be, to be changed by the experience, to be, to be cleansed and not destroyed, well, this means everything for you, for all of us, for all eternity. But we have a perpetual problem, we Christians. 
You know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt, right? We have in our hearts this propensity to become falsely familiar with him, to, to emphasize the traits about him that, that we prefer, you know, the, the, the God that we would like to have, the more comfortable God, the, the domesticated God. We become so familiar with his mercy and his grace that we, we develop this, we, I, develop this friendly, happy sort of contempt with him. Of, as, of him as he truly is. We, we neglect his holiness. We neglect his justice. And we do so to our peril and to our, to our regret, to our great loss, as I hope you will see. Or perhaps, perhaps for you it's the other way around. Perhaps you've come to know him, but, but you know him only as a God of wrath. Not to be trifled with. A God who is only wrathful. His holiness is a, is a fearful thing for you, and it is only a fearful thing for you. It is not a good thing. So for you, my hope and prayer for you today is that, that His holiness would become beautiful. Because for all eternity, we will see it as beautiful. We will find it awful in the sense that we will be filled with awe over its beauty. Pray that God would do some of that today, right now. And this awe, this, this awe does something to us. All those who truly know the Lord will see Him as He is and will be changed, transformed at the sight of Him. You cannot see His holiness and live and not be changed. Not perfected, but the sight of His holiness changes a person. It just does. We do not grow in holiness because we do not see Him as He truly is. So may the Spirit give us this sight and, and, and make us different people even, even right now as we look at His Word. So then we see in this psalm the, the holiness of God and His holiness, His supreme holiness. When when it is experienced in, in faith, transforms us into, be, into being true worshipers of God. I could say that's the, that's the main point of the psalm, that, that, that the experience of His holiness, not, not just the, the, the knowing of it, not just to be able to explain it, but the experience of it transforms us into being true worshipers of God. We see this morning in this psalm that... that his holiness is defined for us, it is pictured for us, and we see it experienced. Defined, pictured, and experienced. That's my simple outline. Holiness defined. We, we, we must define holiness, we must define holy, because again, it is a word that we know, and yet we don't know how much we don't know about it. It's a familiar word. We, we often think of the word holy in the sense of, you know, well, righteousness. What we, what we do and don't do. What we, the things we, we fail at, sin, commandments, righteousness. Um, but the English word, holy, that is translating the Hebrew word here, it's, it's a, as I understand it from others, it's a Germanic word that simply means to be other. 
to be separate. It's not something you do. It's a, it's a state of being. And the Anglo-Saxon word is, is similar, the word sanctified, meaning to be set apart, to be other. If you have a you have a special old plate at home that was passed down to you from generation to generation, chances are it's not sitting at home with the other plates. It's up on a shelf all by itself, maybe on a little stand. You've, you've sanctified it. It's all set up by itself and for other people to see it and admire it, behold it, to see its beauty. It is sanctified. Holiness defined means being separate, being other. The psalmist sees God as supremely other. He is above even the great cherubim, verse 1. His, his throne is upon them. In verse 2, God is exalted over all the people. We are called, verse 5, to worship Him at His footstool. God is above us. He is over us. He is separate from us. He is wholly other. We bear His image, but there is a very real sense in which we are not like Him. We see this in His own name, which He gave to Moses. I am who I am. Completely sufficient in and of Himself. God does not need, period. He is the Creator, the only already in the beginning. The only uncreated one. He reigns, verse 1. He is king. There is no other king over the king. If you're king, you're king. And that's it. There's no one else over you. We bear his image, and yet in a very real sense, the way we are now, he never was. He is holy other than us. He is holy, holy, holy. A set of three holies here in this psalm is, is no coincidence, I think. The, the, the writer is making a very strong point that an ancient Hebrew listener, I think, would have picked up pretty quickly. Ancient Hebrew had no word for, for better or best. If you, if you wanted to say that something was better or bigger, you would repeat the word. Um, so Paul does this in Philippians 3 when he, he's giving us a spiritual resume and he he says before, before he met Christ, he says, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, a, I was a Hebrew Hebrew, he says. Meaning, I was the best. You also remember what the inner room of the temple was called. That, that inner place where the ark rested, where the cherubim on the ark folded their wings there. The, the footstool of the Lord, David says. There the holiest place is called the Holy of Holies. But the God who meets with man there, he is something else. When the prophet Isaiah saw a vision of God recorded in Isaiah 6, he saw cherubim calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. John's vision in Revelation 4 contained the same picture. And as others have noted, this is the only time in Scripture, this is the only attribute of God that is repeated in triplicate. He is holy. He is holy, holy. There are holy places. There are holy things. There are even self-proclaimed Hebrews of Hebrews. But there is only one being to whom the highest, most powerful created beings cry out, holy, 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 while shielding their eyes and their shameful feet in His presence. 
There is only one who is supremely set apart from all else, who is wholly other from everything else that is. Between him and all else is an infinite gulf of being. Holy is he. And yet, he is personal. He has a name, the Lord. Verse 1, big L, small caps, which means the name that he gave to Moses, Yahweh. The I am who I am. And this personal Lord, he moves toward us. Stop for a moment and consider the the vast gulf that God traverses to move towards us. It is an infinite distance. From further than the farthest planet, this holy, holy, holy one moves towards us across this, this infinite gulf of existence. He is moving toward us. And this holy other God will one day soon, the psalmist says, be here in all His majestic glory. The only reason why this infinite gulf is bridged is that God has chosen to do it. He is driven by a holy will to do it. We didn't move towards Him. The Creator has moved towards us, His creatures. God's holiness drives in Him an unstoppable will to continue to move towards us, and He will do this until one day we see Him with our eyes and we will interact with Him on His terms. As he is, not on our terms, not as we would have him to be. There is nothing casual or offhand about this. At least that there isn't with God. He cares very much how you and I and our, and our unguarded, unscripted thoughts think about him. He is in and of himself holy, 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 and he cares very much whether you and I think that. So the psalmist blesses us by picturing for us this holiness. Here we see his holiness pictured in this psalm. God does more in His Word than just describe Himself in existential terms like otherness and holiness, thankfully. He gives us pictures. That's what the psalmist gives us here. The sight of His holiness is meant to to draw you and I to experience cleansing and change, change into true worshipers. The psalmist is looking forward in in verses 1, 2, and 3. The image here. It cannot be anything else other than the second coming of the Lord. He was seeing more than he knew. On that day, everyone will see indeed that this holy, holy, holy God reigns, that he is king. This God, this king, is a Lord of majesty. This is another aspect of his holiness, that he is a majestic God, a king of awful beauty, of unmatched glory. He is a majestic king, perfect in beauty, perfect in his perfections. Our holy God is moved by a holy will, and he moves towards us in his his glorious majesty, a beautiful, awful majesty. 
And he will come on a living throne, verse 1 says, upon the cherubim. This will not be a a herd of little half-clothed winged babies, but but an awesome force of the most powerful beings coming in, in might and in wrath, in fury. The earth itself will not help but quake in fear. Thus we see that not only is he, is he moving towards his creation with, a, with an, an unstoppable will, and he is moving towards us in, in majestic glory, but he is moving towards his creation in wrath. Wrath is part of his holiness. He is clothed in perfect, infinite majesty, and he moves towards his creation to remove all that offends that majesty. All that stains it and rebels against it, he must because he is holy. He would not be holy if if he did not possess this wrath. Every sin is an infinite offense against this infinitely majestic God. So he comes in wrath. He comes in wrath because in his holiness, verse 4, he loves justice. He loves justice. He is not partial to anyone. He's not partial to you. He's not partial to me. Nobody. He's only partial to himself, to his own perfect, holy character. He's just. Therefore, he loves justice just as much as he loves mercy. Therefore, he will establish equity. He will make all things right. Everything in his kingdom will be completely fair. So then he will execute justice. Every sin, every offense will be seen to be justly dealt with. Every offense against his perfect, infinite majesty. That's because he will execute righteousness. And we come back to the most common characteristic that we think about when we think about his holiness. God moves in a holy will in wrath against all that offends His majesty because He is righteous, righteous, righteous. And He is bringing about a perfect kingdom where there will be no sin, no hurt, no tears, no pain, where all is righteous. And His righteousness and His wrathful majesty, the King is on the move. And the question before each one of us is, how do we experience His awful holiness? What is your experience of it? That's the question. There is no question of his character. There is no question of that he is on the move. There is no question that one day he will be here. The only question is, how do you experience that awful, majestic holiness? That's the question. Many will and do even now experience it only as awful, as something to hide from. That's something you pretend isn't real, isn't there. But it will be here one day soon. And yet we see in this psalm there is another group who rejoice over the fact that that he loves justice, who praise him and exalt over him that he executes justice and righteousness. They're thrilled by it. How can this be? This is why the psalmist makes an abrupt turn here at verse 6. He turns on a dime 
from picturing His holiness, the Lord's holiness, to picturing for us the experience of His holiness by some sinners like you and me. Moses, the man of God, who deliberately disobeyed God before all the people. Moses, who, like you, like me, couldn't wait for Moses to return from the mountain and deliberately indulged in idolatry. Samuel, a prophet, and a total wreck as a father. Good men. Men we, would, we admire, we look up to. Good men. Sinners. In need of mercy. They actually heard his voice. They were religious men. Men who went to church and by many standards, again, were, were good men. And yet men who did not do all that they could do. Men who, despite keeping His commandments, still needed mercy. They still needed forgiveness. Men who offended the majesty, the infinite holiness of this holy, holy, holy God. We are no different. None of us can do all that we can do. All of us have sinned. And Do not think for a moment that being from a church family or being from Utah or, or being more relatively righteous than somebody else earns you any partiality before this holy, holy, holy God because it does not. Our problem is not the relative badness or number or, or, or how recently you've committed your, your worst sin. Our problem is the infinitely holy majesty of the one that we've sinned against. He will not be partial. So then, what is our escape? How does one move from cowering in fear to, to being in Jacob, to, to rejoicing at his coming? Verse 5 gives us a vivid hint. Those who rejoice worship him at his footstool, it says. Again, we have to, we have to think harder about that than the original readers would have. The footstool of God was the place, as I've already said, that in the Holy of Holies where the high priest would only go once a year, this place between the cherubim where, where God would meet with men. And the only way that he could enter was if, if the blood of a sacrificial lamb was splattered there, the, the blood standing between this holy, holy, holy God and the people. It was a picture that pointed forward, verse 4, when a king would come and he would ascend the holy hill of Zion, the hill of Calvary. When this King Jesus went to the cross, He showed us just how much God loves justice and mercy. He showed us just how much God's wrath burns against sin. For it was there that God executed justice for our sins, but upon Him by executing His own Son in our place. It was there that pure justice was meted out as the Father in all of His awful holiness put His holy, holy, holy Son to a brutal death in our place. Justice was done. Why? Because God loves in His holy, holy, holy nature. He loves justice. Because He loves mercy. It was there that this holy, holy, holy God moved towards us in holy, holy, holy love to separate us from our sin, from our guilt, from our shame.
He did this in the most equitable way possible. The holy, holy, holy one dying in the place of me, the sinful, sinful, sinful one. So it is no wonder that the psalmist says, praise him at his footstool. His blood has covered us, or, or it can cover you. It can cover you if you would trust in Jesus, if you have not. If you would, verse 8, cry out to him for forgiveness and mercy, not on the basis of what you have done or how relatively bad it is, but on the basis of what he has done in his son. If you would do that, if you would cry out to him on the basis of Jesus, here is what you will hear. You will hear the just pronouncement over you, forgiven, forgiven. Glorious news. You will find this awfully holy God to be a forgiving God, justly forgiving to you. You will find him to be merciful. Man, he's good. It's not in my notes, but. <laughs> this does not mean <clears throat> that, he will, that he will wipe away every consequence that, that comes from our sin. He is still, verse 8, an avenger of all our wrongdoings. He doesn't, he doesn't relinquish equity and justice in order to be merciful. He doesn't give that up. He is still that. He's both. At the same time, only God. But you will find yourself free, forgiven, not guilty. No more shame. You will find your shame even of your darkest, greatest sins wiped clean. Whatever your sin, this God's holy execution of justice is greater. Whatever you've done, whatever your sins and failures, you will find his mercy to be bigger. He has bridged the gulf. He has done it. If you've never trusted in Christ this way, I implore you to experience his holiness, to experience it the way David did in, in Psalm 32. I'm just going to read it, but maybe you could go back this afternoon and, and look at it. But verses 3 through 7 say this For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You ever felt that? You ever felt your shame deep down in your bones, your guilt? For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Here's the thing God's holiness is meant to not leave us there. If that was the end of the psalm, ugh, but it's not. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, the, the guilt, the sinfulness, the ugh of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Oh, it's good news. God is still an avenger of all of our wrongdoing. He's still just. There will still be a rush of great waters. Our sin still breaks the dam. 
But if you would trust in Him, you will experience this sovereign, holy one to, in the rush of great waters, to be a hiding place for you, and they will not touch you. You will find Him to be that for you today. A hiding place for you today and on that day when He comes. He will preserve you and you will shout with delight at His deliverance of you. To be godly is not to be perfect. It is to know that you need mercy and to cry out to the only one who can justly give it. That's what it means to be godly. To be forgiven. But what of us? We who have already trusted in Jesus, who have already experienced His great mercy, and yet, like Moses and Aaron and and Samuel, we still sin. We still... We who still battle unsuccessfully against the the darkness within us. You and I who who still say, I'm supposed to be a Christian, and yet... uh, I, I still battle this. I still do this. Or, I will never get over what I did. It's so shameful. Guilt and shame still lurk and haunt us because sin and shameful weakness still beset us. Our sin sickens us and we we want change, but but we can find ourselves stuck in our weakness and and not sure how this change happens, this this change, this, this holiness that the end of Hebrews 9 says, without which no one will see the Lord. What do we do? Well, we, like Moses and Aaron and Samuel, we go to God. We go to God. We call out to Him. We go to Him not as we would have Him to be. Not the version of God that we would prefer Him to be. Maybe for you it's a a sleepy grandfather who can barely care less about our sins. Who, 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 yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You sinned, all right. No, we go to Him as He is, the Holy, Holy, Holy One. And we don't go before Him as we would have ourselves to be, with with the better version of ourselves that we would prefer to be. So we don't go to Him blithely, casually mentioning our sin in passing. There is nothing offhand about this. We take our sins seriously before Him, as seriously as He takes it. We don't hide anything and we don't, we don't use euphemisms. We name our sins using His Bible, using His commandments as our language. We go to Him in, in sobriety, taking our time, naming our sins, na- naming our excuses, naming our justifications, the lies we told ourselves. We go to God with heavy words because this is serious business because He is holy, holy, holy. But what we find when we go to Him like this is that He is holy, holy, holy in His mercy. He is holy, holy, holy in keeping all of His promises to all of His children. We find him to be, as a father, holy other. Holy unlike any earthly father. 
Every other father is in some way impatient or harsh or judgmental, indifferent, careless, too busy to care. But not this father, Christian. As a father, he is wholly unlike any other father. And his fathering of you is holy, holy, holy. So he will welcome you, he will listen. He will hear you. He will not reject you. He will no sooner reject you than he would reject his own son if you've trusted in him. He won't kick you out. He will not impatiently become disgusted this time and give up on you. You are covered by the blood of his son, therefore he is to you a perfect father. You can't change this. You, you, you can't sin your way out of this. Uh, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on His perfect, holy character. And He is holy, holy, holy. But guilt and shame run deep. So, so how do we know that He will be truly merciful? Well, we take hold of His promises and we remember that His perfect holiness means that He always keeps them. It depends not on our own performance, but on His character. Do, do, do you see? You, you need Him to be holy, holy, holy. You need that. You want that. For only such a one can keep such lavish promises. Only such a one can keep them. For all eternity, only a one like this one holy, holy, holy God can be to you as He is so lavishly promised to be. So, we go to Him. Take, take Jesus' promise to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a big promise. We remember that this promise is real because of Jesus who makes it. We remember it and we believe it, not on the basis of ourselves, but because He is holy. Despite all our wavering, despite all our weakness and sin, God does not leave us. He is steadfast in His love. He is supremely patient. He doesn't give up on us. He will never leave us nor forsake us to the most holy, holy, holy degree. So then we can cry out with David in Psalm 25, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is very great. Or maybe it's just me. I don't think it says very there. I think that's me adding to it. That's how I feel. We can know that He will do it because that's who He is. For the sake of His own name, he will do it. Because He is holy, holy, holy. His mercy is greater than anyone, all of our sins. And He will pardon all of our guilt. He promises to do it and He will do it. We know this because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that all of God's promises find their yes where? In Jesus. We can look to the cross. We can look to Jesus, our crucified Savior, and, and know. God keeps His promises. God will do it. He will not fail. 
though I do. And he will do it tomorrow. He will, he will be that father to you t- tomorrow and on the day when he returns. To be a Christian is to bet your life on that <laughs> faith. <laughs> now, it is, it is right here as we experience his, his holiness, his holy righteousness, and our, and our sin is cleansed and we, we experience His holy mercy as we, as we come face to face with, with Jesus again and we see Him. We, we, we see all His supreme patience, all His forgiveness, all His love that we are changed. Who He is in, in, in this experience, in this interchange is, is imprinted upon us and we are left irrevocably changed. Do you see, coming to Him in confession, in your sin, is right at the core of the process of you becoming more like Christ. It's here that we are changed. It's here that the forgiveness of God is imprinted upon us and makes us forgivers of others. It's here that the supreme patience of God imprints itself on us and and makes me slowly but surely a more patient father to my, to my children, to my family. It's here that in the words of 2 Corinthians 5, we, we learn to live n- not for ourselves, n- not to be filled with, with fear about what other people think of us, not to need other people, not to need what they give us, but to live for Him, for, for our sake died, who for our sake died and was raised, to live in love as we have been loved to live in in loving generosity to others if we have been so generously dealt with by Jesus on His cross. We see His generosity and we learn a little bit more what it means to be be people who turn away from ourselves and, and love. So we ask Him for help, help to do it. When we come to Him for confession, we don't stop there. We ask Him, change me. Make this real. Make me different. Help, Father. Help me to be different. Help me to be a forgiver, a forbearer. Help me to deal with others purely, as purely as You have dealt with me. Help me to think as as purely as You have thought purely of me. Because of your son, Jesus. Because you are holy, holy, holy. Help to, to give up our lives. And we remember another promise. That he who began a good work will complete it. He will do it. Because he is holy, holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy for us. Then we can stand back and come to this point. You can stand back and, 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 and look at everything. And, you know, we, we should see, what we should see is wreckage. Just wreckage. But instead, we, we see our life being made new. We should see darkness and we, we start to see more light. We should see shame. We, we should see a scowl looking back at us and we see a smile. We see a God keeping His promises. 
We should see rejection, but instead we see welcome. We should see a prison, but instead we see an unshakable kingdom given to us without price. We should see the cold, bony finger of guilt and condemnation wagging in our face. And instead, we see the pierced hand of a Savior reaching down to us, helping us up, cleansing us, changing us. We are changed. We are changed to be to others as He has been to us. So, you get to this point, and what is left? What is left to do but worship Him? What is left to do but to stand in awe of this God who has moved towards us in such awful holiness and yet with such undeserved blessing? There is nothing left to do but worship Him. To offer our lives to Him in worship. So I close with the words of Hebrews 12. Christian, this is, this is you. This is, this is real for you. This is true for you and me. We should, we should strive for peace with everyone, the writer says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For, for this reason, <clears throat> this is already true of you because of what God has done, because He is holy, holy, holy. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Mount Sinai. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. At that time His voice shook the earth, but now He has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And He has loved us so. Amen. We move now to communion and let's, let's, let's do this as we move to communion. If the men could come forward.
Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.